father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, how are you? Welcome back to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today is episode 183 with Coach Kathy Walton. She's the head girls basketball coach at Southwest Cab in Atlanta, Georgia. After coaching for more than 20 years at the college level, Kathy Ritchie Walton accepted a coaching teaching position in the DeKalb County School System in Decatur, Georgia. Ms. Ritchie Walton coached and taught for two years at McNair Middle School before transferring to Southwest DeKalb High School in 2002. Since arriving at Southwest DeKalb High School, the girls basketball pro- program has posted a 413 and 130 record in 18 seasons winning back-to-back-to-back Georgia High School Association 4A state championships in 2008, 2009, 2010. Then again, winning state championships in 2013 and 2016. In addition, the Lady Panthers have finished runner-ups in the championship game in 2012, 2014, 2017, making the eighth time in the last 10 years that the Lady Panthers have played for a state championship, winning five state championships, three runner-ups, as well as nine region championships. At the same time, Coach Walton was named the 2010 and 2008 Garland F. Pinkholster High School Coach of the Year, the 2009 BCA Black Coaches and Administrators National High School Coach of the Year, the 2009 Bobby Crimmins State Coach of the Year, the DeKalb County Coach of the Year, and the 2009 Gapert Georgia Association for Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance Teacher of the Year, as well as the 2014 Southwest DeKalb High School Teacher of the Year. In October of 2018, Coach Walton was inducted into the Southwest DeKalb Athletic Hall of Fame. Then again, in September of 2019, Coach Walton was inducted into the Slippery Rock University Athletic Hall of Fame. Coach Walton gained national coaching experience when she coached the blue team to a silver medal during the during at the 2005 USA Basketball Youth Development Festival in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and the USA Basketball Youth Olympic 2010 team to a bronze medal in the first ever three-on-three Youth Olympic Games in Singapore, Singapore. 
She also coached the Georgia Metro's 16 and under team to four national championships, winning the 16 and under AAU Nationals and the 17 and under United States Junior Nationals in Washington, D.C. in 2005. The Georgia Metro's went on to repeat as the 17 and under <clears throat> champions and won the Nike National Championships in Augusta, Georgia in 2006. As you can see, um, Coach Walton has a tremendous career, built an unbelievable program at Southwest DeKalb year in and year out, consistently competing for a state championship. I'm going to really just pick her brain and really kind of ask her, like, you know, what are the key ingredients to building a successful program so us coaches can kind of learn and pick up a few things that she does. So, hey, I, hey we're really lucky, we're really fortunate to be interviewing some great coaches here on this podcast, and Coach Kathy Walton's one of the best. So, Coach Walton, welcome to the podcast. Kevin, <laughs> just find yourself. Hey, great. I really appreciate you joining me, man. It's a true Georgia legend joining me, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time out. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I always enjoy um, the other day I spoke to uh, Eric Herrick the other day, who's a new coach over at Dawson, uh, spoke to uh, Phyllis Arthur, uh, Coach Hankerson, um, man, we got a wealth of great coaches in the state, don't we? Man, that's awesome. I'm not sure if I'm in the same category with them, but we do have some <laughs> great coaches. Yeah, you might be in a higher category, Coach. Man, you built a tremendous program there at Southwest Academy. I'm, I'm here to learn, and that's why I do the podcast is kind of pick up things that coaches are doing, and you got some coaches all over the country listening. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time out to join us. Well, thank you. And that's what I've always done. I always uh, talk to other coaches, you know, see what they're doing. You know, we're uh, in a field where we, we borrow from each other just to, uh, you know, improve our programs. That's no doubt because, I mean, every time um, I do a podcast, I pick up one or two things. Now, I don't – and you would probably agree with this. You're not going to change everything over the year, but you might pick up, like, one or two things, like how to teach something better, right? It's not a lot. Definitely. It's either something to tweak or maybe it's something uh, I did years ago and they reminded me that, yeah, that 
you know, might work better with this group, you know, with this particular season. So it's, it's always like a refresher course. No doubt. And of course, now we've had a lot of refreshing, right? Because we haven't done anything for a while. And, um, and I, I know, uh, tell us about what's going on in your County because we're, we're practicing here in green County. Uh, we actually just finished the practice not too long ago, but what's going on there in DeKalb? Are you guys ready to uh, get training again or you have to still wait? Well, I'm not sure what the other programs are doing, but um, the directive now in DeKalb County, we have a central athletic department. So we are mandated by the county at large. So right, right now our county for the 19 high schools are in DeKalb County. We have been restricted to return to conditioning only for for the fall sports. So that's football, you know, volleyball, softball, cheerleading. Uh, right. Spring sports are not to have any type of workouts or contact with their players at this time. Yeah, which it, it that puts a lot of pressure on you guys. I mean, I, I know you because I know you all do a lot of put a lot of time in and you're you probably got players on travel teams and so forth. What have you done? to stay connected with your players during this time? Well, and, and that's a good question. I, I've tried to keep in touch. We have had a, a couple of Zoom meetings. Um, I've also had my returners to stay in contact with the uh, young ones. And I'm kind of fortunate. Uh, all my returners are on somebody's AU team or travel team. So, and they've been doing that ever since I arrived at Southwest Cab. So, this basically is not anything new for me. The only thing that I'm really lacking that I have done in the past is in that June when we would do the team camps. But outside of, you know, I would do about three or four team camps. I really didn't do a whole lot with my athletes in the summer. I basically released them to their uh, travel team. So I'm, I'm not too far from what I normally do um, in, in the downtime. Yeah, because usually June's our month, right, Coach? Uh, and, you know, we were, uh, of course, this June, you know, we did just conditioning and so forth. I think it's sometimes, I tell you, I have a lot of great coaches like yourself tell me, man, this has actually been a good break for a lot of the kids. Oh, I agree. And what it's showing with me is uh, those who are willing to step up, um, what type of support I have from the parents. So, yeah, you know, just kind of put it on them. You know, just let them know the type of season that you guys are going to have or depending on what you're willing to do. And I won't know until I see them when we come together as a team. And, you know, by then it's going to be too late. You know, I'm, I'm going to know if you guys, you know, really put in the time and, you know, you, what type of season you want to have or if you didn't and, and you really didn't care. But I, I just kind of put the ownership on them and their parents. Yeah, and you got such a tradition there and legacy there that, I'm sure the expectations are high. And, hey, if you don't get it done, if you don't get better, you don't play. Because I know spots are probably hard for you. to. I mean, kids are probably going to really work to get positions in your in your program. Coach, talk about growing up in the game. So I was reading your bio, and you've had a tremendous career. Man, you've done a lot of things. But talk about how you grew up in the game and how that kind of led you into coaching. Well, that's kind of fortunate um, when I was coming through, well, maybe not necessarily fortunate, but I had a, a unique experience is that um, I learned from the actual legends of the game. And I'm probably going to be dating myself. I'm, de I'm definitely going to be dating <laughs> myself. Right. But, you know, when I went to clinics, um, George <laughs> Ravlin and 
George Thompson and, you know, um, uh, Cheney, all those guys. were. Yeah, John Cheney, yeah. And unfortunately at that time, they were not Nike or or Converse, and back then it was Converse, um, they weren't including women coaches in their clinics. So Mm -hmm. I would go to various clinics, which was um, predominantly um, run by the men. I eventually... Vivian Stringer, Stringer and um, Miriam Washington, they started doing some of the clinics, but most of my foundation came from, from the male coaches and they really didn't modify it for the female coaches because, you know, they, of course, they wouldn't know what, how to modify it for the uh, girls game. So that was a process I had to go through was to modify what they were saying and adapt it for. Um, and at first I was at the college level. So I had to adopt it for uh, the college game and then eventually for the high school game. Yeah. And uh, talk about, you know, talk about how the growth of the women's game, because one of my, my next questions is, is, you know, how did, how has the game grown? Cause you've, you know, you have coached for a long period of time. How, what, what's been the growth of the game? What's been your reflection? How, I mean, the game has really come a long ways, hasn't it? Well, yes, the women's no. game. Yes and no. I think, you know, we really hit a peak, I guess, you know, the late uh, 2000, you know, ni- I want to say 1990s, early 2000s. Um, unfortunately, though, what I've seen in the last few years is the drop off in the participation of girls mm. in the sport. You know, before, you know, the gym was full. And we had a lot of people coming out, trying out. The parents were heavily involved and, you know, just the overall level and the skill and and the interest was really, really high. But in the last, I would say the last 10 years, I have really seen a drop off in the the level of participation. And I, I think eventually, you know, at the college and, and the pro level, they're going to see the talent to drop off because I, I, maybe I'm just is unique in my program here because I've been at Southwest for 18 years. Um, but I, I've just seen a, a drop off uh, in the numbers. And I think um, because we dropped off in the numbers, we have dropped off in the, in the level of um, skill, the skill level. And the question is why uh, that's the question. I, I do see it all around the country. And now is it because girls are getting involved in other sports, other things going on? Um Maybe the game is, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you, do you have a reason why that's happening? Uh, I have a few thoughts about it. Um, and I know the, I, I also uh, coach a uh, travel team. You know, I've been involved with the travel team since uh, 1993. So I'm not anti-travel, but what I have found out and actually read it somewhere else is that now, um, there's between the haves and the have-nots. So those who have the money who can afford it, they're right. playing. And those who don't, they feel that if they're not involved in travel ball, they're never going to you know, be a great player. They're not going to make varsity. They're not going to go into college. So they don't even try. And that hmm. shouldn't be the case because, again, when I start off in the high school, I actually – um, encourage my athletes to do multiple sports. So I, I never um, expected them to specialize in basketball. Um, I encourage them to do a fall sport, a spring sport, 
um, kind of get away from basketball, not necessarily just, you know, put all their eggs into basketball. And I think it's also helped some of my athletes get scholarships and, and other sports. Um, so I don't think it's taken by them participating in other sports that that has just decreased the number. I just think it's the expectation that if we're not involved in, you know, training, if I'm not getting that training, if I'm not doing that travel ball, that summer ball, uh, I'm not going to make it. And I, I was, I think, fortunate that I would have kids come out their freshman, sophomore year and end up going on to college. I've, I actually have had two young ladies who came out their sophomore year at my high school and both of them went on to play D1. So it's hmm, not that sure. they're doing other things. It's just that they're just not coming out. Yeah. Is that, is that more of a, because um, I, I think the parents, and, and as you probably already know for doing this for so many years, you got to get the parents educated and on your side, right? Because if the parents aren't in, then it's hard to get the kids. You think the parents are seeing that, that they have to put so much time in and so that, that the kids are just aren't, they aren't pushing their kids to do it? Uh, I think, so. well, I think it's a combination of parents and the um, the students. Um, you know, unfortunately, I don't have contact with parents until they come to the high school. So I'm not quite sure, I'm not quite sure who is talking to these parents <laughs> at the grassroots level. You know, the, the eight, nine, 10 year olds, who's influencing that decision at that level. Um, cause by the time they get to me, I, again, unfortunately I have great parents. I have, I think not only some of the best parents in the County, but statewide nationally, I have parents, um, who are fully vested and bought into what we're doing, but I'm not getting all those parents to come in, you know, through the grassroots and, and so forth. So there's something that's taking place, um, at the younger levels that's influencing parents' decisions. Uh, that's so that's a whole nother podcast right there, because that's because I think that's um, I think we have many issues at the youth level. And l- let me just kind of throw some ideas at you. Is there a reason because we're focusing on winning so much at the youth level with or rather than rather than development and keeping kids in the game? Is that a major problem? Um, I think that's part of it. And also those who are involved, I, I've always believed that you're best coaches should actually be at the younger levels because they're the ones that's instilling the fundamentals and their approach to the game and things like that. And unfortunately um, we have people involved who, who are just in either for their child or for the winning and not necessarily for the development of the players in the game. So, yeah, I, I would concur with that thought. Yeah. And I definitely think the numbers are down and so forth, but let's talk about your program and there's a reason why you've been successful over the years. And I definitely want to find out kind of some of your secrets and some of your key things that you do. Um, talk about your culture. Talk about like what are some things that you really focus on in your program that really kind of separates you maybe for some other and getting the kids really to believe in you? Well, again, I was fortunate to arrive at Southwest Cab where the, the true legendary coaches um, – coach and that was a uh, buck goffrey uh, who was the head football coach and um napoleon cobb who was a track coach at the time and both of them were state championship coaches um even coach cobb he coached olympians and won national track 
um, championships. And in talking with them, the the one probably one of the main things, and I and I know all the coaches are, are who have been successful to do this is, you know, really focus on the athletes. You know, understand that's not about you. It's about the athletes and establishing the relationships with them and um, and not necessarily so much with the parents. I had both the coaches uh, taught me early on that if you get too involved with the parents, uh, some of that can backfire. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have open communications. You know, you, the parents need to be aware of what's going on and things like that. But I feel that some coaches fall by the wayside because they're they're so into pleasing the parents <laughs> and not sure. necessarily looking at their student athletes, what they have, take what you have, you know, work with what you have and um, develop it from there. So I think it's more so it was student and athlete centered more so than parents or coaches. Yeah, that's easy to do. I guess if you were speaking to a bunch of young coaches and I got a lot of young coaches that listen to this as well. That's going to be the hardest thing is, is not to try to please the parents because or are you not trying to please the administration? You do have to be really player centered. Give me some strategies on how you do that. Um, I, I actually give the um, athletes a lot of responsibility. And this is something that I learned from um, AC um, when he was coaching at Morrow. Um and he had just won, uh, f- I think, four or five girls' state championships. And fortunately for me, I was with the WBCA. And the WBCA asked me when I first came to Georgia to get to know some of the top coaches in the state of Georgia. So I went to CAC. I went to see uh, the coach at uh, Sandy Springs, the coach at um, Woodland. Uh, um, not Woodland, Woodward. Woodward, and- yeah, sure. And in going to um, his practice, he talked to me during his entire practice. And what I noticed is that he had, I think their colors were green and gold. So he had a green team, a gold team, a white team, and another color. And I quickly saw where the one team, and I can't remember exactly what, what color it was, was clearly his first five and or his starters and the next team was maybe the second half of his varsity and the next group was probably the best JV and then the next and those players could run the whole practice and all the drills without him having to say anything (laughs) to them right it kind of showed me that if your kids can learn and teach, if they can teach like the drills and the basics and the fundamentals, then that means that they're comprehending what's going on more so than if I'm always out there correcting them, telling them what to do and things like that. And I actually realized that I worked at my program um, years ago when I was doing a youth camp. When I had the little ones coming in, I told my starters, my seniors, I said, y'all doing this camp. And I was so impressed was they knew exactly what drills, what stations, how to teach them, how to teach the fundamentals. And I'm like, okay, they know this. They know this thing. So the one thing I I learned from AC was, you know, again, hold them accountable, hold them responsible, Um, you know, find ways for them to 
grasp this and learn it and be able to communicate with each other. Yeah. And I love AC McCullough. As a matter of fact, he's a good friend of mine and um, uh, he's still going strong. I think he recently told me he's trying to write a book. And I said, AC, you got to do it, man, because you got so much knowledge to share uh, with us coaches. I mean, he's great. If he wrote a book, I, I would buy it. Definitely. <laughs> Learn so much. And, and um, I've, went to um he used to host a camp a tnf camp and um i think for over 30 some years and we went to it it was it was more than what we could afford and we had to do a lot of fundraising but the whole uh, tnf which was team of fundamentals i think was was cris- critical to the development of our program yeah and coach do you feel like there's enough being taught skill wise skill development wise i know a lot of kids have trainers and so forth do you think coaches in general from your eyes are doing enough skill development working with players i mean just from your eyes definitely not definitely not okay <laughs> uh, no i when i watch them i'm like first of all i wish i could convince the parents to pay me the kind of money they're paying these trainers cuz oh, <laughs> right I don't know what they're saying to them, but when I watch them, they're working on um, mainly them scoring, mainly them putting the ball in the basket and not right. how to do it. You know, they don't start with like the, the the footwork and the body position and the hands and all that. They just like, okay, do these drills. You know, if the ball goes through the hoop, you're successful. If it doesn't, and I think it's really reinforcing a lot of um, bad techniques um, that they're they're just out there. Uh, helping them get shots up and not necessarily working on the total development of the uh, athlete. Um, and, you know, and that's one reason why, again, I try to encourage my athletes to do multiple sports. Cause I feel like if they're trained as an athlete, I, I can teach them the basis. I can teach them the fundamentals. Um, but that's, that's not always the case. So then you have to retrain and reteach and, and that takes a little bit longer. Yeah, it's funny you say that because, yeah, I do think that there's an overemphasis on individual, I wouldn't call it selfishness, but scoring. Right. And, and, and I, it's funny, I was talking to, um, you know, Dean Durden about this, and, and one of his emphasis this year for his team was passing and catching, the footwork, you know, because there's a lot of skill in passing and catching. He felt his team, who was always well-coached and well-drilled, he said his team wasn't good on passing and catching. I don't think we do enough of that. So I took what I did. I took that suggestion, and we're really emphasizing more with the heavy balls and things like that on how to deliver a passing catch. I don't think there's enough being taught about that. Oh, definitely. And I'm surprised he didn't feel his team was a good catching, passing and catching team because I think that was one of their strengths was the ability to share <laughs> the ball. You know, and right. you, you couldn't isolate just one player, stop one player, because they were definitely going to share the ball and move it around till they to that person get the ball in a position where they could be successful. And they weren't going to, you know, take bad shots or shots that they weren't prepared to take. They were just going to keep moving it until they knew that, you know, they were in, in the position to take the shot. So uh, I'm, I'm really concerned for those teams that he's about to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the next level, because if, if they're going to prove upon that, they're, they're going to be very, very uh, tough to beat. And that's how team schools like you and programs like yours, that's how, hey, the, be- the best get better, man, because they're always trying to get better. Even though it might be a strength, man, they're trying to find some way, some, some way to get better at something, right? 
Definitely, definitely. And that's one of the things that um, I thought I saw that was common with AC and Gene. And I may be putting words in their mouth, but I always mm-hmm. felt that they they believed that they were going to do what they do better than anybody around. So they weren't worried about if a team could stop them because if a team was focusing on stopping them, then they weren't focusing on doing what they need to do. So right. you were always worried about, you know, you know, and the style of play that both AC and Gene had wasn't a style of play that I did. Um, so, you know, by me not being able, and they were doing it game after game after game. So they're doing a 25, 30 games. So by the time I get to them, you know, they, they're a well-oiled machine and it's difficult to stop that. So then you have to make sure your game is that prepared where they have difficulty in, in stopping you as well. So you, you can't really focus on them because then it distracts from what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, you know, uh, and you know, I'm, you know, in Buford, I guess they're moving up to 6A and y'all are still, is it, where do y'all classified now? Correct. Well, we have 4A num. We've always had 4A numbers. Okay. We've always okay. gone 5A though. We've always okay. chose to play up, but yeah, I see where, that 6A is going to be really, really tough. You know, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. That's going to be brutal. I mean, I, Gene was telling me about the teams. And, of course, but, you know, just like you, you want to face the best, right, to yeah. find out if you're the best. Yeah, and that's what we try to do. We try to go to events where, you know, we're always playing the, the best teams, not only in the state, but, um, you know, in the country. We're supposed to be going to um, – um, New York, and we're supposed to be going to Florida, but I don't know if we're going to be able to make those trips. But I always like getting away uh, so we could work on certain things without um, 90% of Georgia watching us. So it's, we're going to see, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll do. Yeah, and now talk about your team this year. Now, of course, you know, I mean, we have a lot of Georgia coaches that listen on this, but you sound like a coach like, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you what we do. Um, but we want to know kind of a little bit about your team coming back. Um, how many, you know, who are your, some of your strengths coming back and who are some, some areas that you want to really improve on? Talk a little bit about your program. Well, uh, again, I'm excited about this year because I actually have five players coming out back who have been on varsity since their freshman year. So yeah, that's great. Really going to be their, their year. And it's kind of, ironic is that um it's in all the five positions so my point guard my two my three my four and the five are all seniors so that's that's a plus because you know they have now you know this will be the fourth year they're playing together now it's a negative because when they graduate you know i won't have uh, <laughs> that experience um but you know i'm looking forward to it because again like i said they've been together for so long um they've been playing the summer ball um well, maybe about two or three different teams, but they're all out there playing, working hard. Um, I do have some good young kids, though. You know, the um, our JV team won um, the DeKalb County JV Championship. So I I have hidden away a few players from the coaches in, in 5A that were uh, <laughs> out there trying to develop their skills at the JV, JV level, and I'm looking so forward to them coming up and um, blending their talent in. Even with those younger kids, um, again, they're diverse in their talent, you know, the ability to get up and down the floor and knock down shots and things like that. And 
also with those young kids, they've been out there playing a, a lot of uh, summer balls. So it's, um, I, I, I hope, you know, we, we have a, uh, if not a full season, we have a, a pretty competitive season because um, it would be um, disappointing for these young ladies not to get out there and have the opportunity to, to play. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of out of our control a little bit, right coach with that pandemic and everything. Cause I, I feel the same way. Cause I came here to Lake Oconee uh, 2016 and we built a program from scratch. They haven't had any varsity teams and we got, I got a group of seniors that I've been with since the eighth grade. This is their senior year mm-hmm. and we got, our, we're going to have our best team ever, mm. but it, it would be a tragedy to kind of see this season not go through, but you know what? Hey, we don't have control over it. And right. I, Right. Uh, but I wish. Hi, this is Kirk Gilsdorf, Clackamas Community College Women's Basketball, formerly Oregon City High School Girls Basketball. And as a veteran coach, I'm always looking for new ideas, new things to listen to, somewhere I can improve my coaching. And I've discovered the Championship Vision podcast from Kevin Furtado, and it has become my number one go-to podcast each and every week. Kevin brings in guests that provide a unique perspective, whether it's on X's and O's, philosophy, drill work, whatever it might be. Uh, he's going to get something out there that's going to help me as a coach get better. And I think that's what we should all be doing as coaches is helping each other get better. Uh, Kevin himself is, is always hungry to learn. You can sense that in his podcast. And so, again, I can't recommend it highly enough. Championship Vision Podcast, Kevin Furtado, keep up the great work. People will be more responsible, though, and kind of let we, – I think we can – reduce this pandemic in a certain way don't you think definitely and it's just going to come from everybody coming together and say hey where's some common sense th- things that we can do you know to reduce this because it has been reduced in other places so it's it's doable but we all we all got to come together and get it done because um, like you said it's out of our control and you know maybe you know it's meant for something on down the line but it really would be nice to see if these things came to fruition um, this season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how the Georgia high school, how there might be, I'm sure there's going to be restrictions because, I mean, it's going to be right in the middle of, well, I guess flu season, whatever. I think we're really going to have to be smart, but be prepared. There might be some adaptations, right? That's correct. That's correct. I'm I'm also the athletic director at uh, the high school, and I just left um, the football team. And I'm so proud of what they're doing because they're doing all the right things. You know, even in their weight training, uh, you know, they were doing it outside. You know, they didn't even limit sure. to being in the weight room. They were outside. Um, you know, we have a, a cemented area and they took equipment outside and face masks and social distancing and all, all that, all that, th- all those things. So I think the coaches, administrators have to be creative. And, you know, how to get through this, you know, follow the guidelines and um, help, re- help reduce this. Right. No excuses. Right. I mean, for, for pro- yeah, I mean, it sounds like for your program, hey, no excuses. We can get through this. Um, talk about let's talk about like how do you build an offense? Um, because I know a lot of coaches that change every year based on their personnel, which which is that's their own philosophy. I like to have kind of a kind of a systematic way of doing that, starting with my feeder programs and continuing up and, and then adjusting it. What do you like to do with your offense this year? And again, that comes back from uh, me going to AC's practices is that, um, you know, I like for them to 
continue through the program, if they're starting, you know, their ninth grade year and, you know, I even look at my middle schools and, you know, what was coming through the, the middle schools, but they can start through that. And, you know, I have athletes who have graduated five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago who know the offenses that we're running, you know, so that's <laughs> how long I've been running. Yeah. However, what I try to do is tweak them, you know, right. they may be the same, the basic set, but they will be tweaked depending on the personnel that I have that particular season. So we'll start with the basics and then we'll say, you know, Hey, let's emphasize this particular part of the offense or let's make a different cut or, you know, tweak it this way. So the the basics are the same and we just modify it. Yeah. And give us a little sample. Are, are you, um, I mean, I don't know if you have post players, a lot of posts in your program or just all guards. Um, are you, you know, kind of give us a sample of how you would, I'm sure you built it. I built mine from the, from the uh, transition game first. Mm-hmm. And then we built our half court game. What do you guys like to do there at Southwest? Oh, definitely. We, we like to get up and down the floor. You know, we're, we're going to run as much as we can. And I guess with the shot clock, um, that, mm-hmm. that will <laughs> benefit us. But, uh, yeah, we definitely have a uh, organized transition break, you know, where they know where they're supposed to be going in the transition. And then our from our transition, our transition flows right to whatever um, offense or whatever set or whatever play we're going to run. So they can transition from our break. They can transition from our press offense right into a set that we're going to run. And we do that. You know, I, I, I work on the transition Every day, I spend at least five ten minutes on you know the transition in every single practice because that's something that I like to emphasize. And out of our transition, we're looking for those quick hitters. You know, when right. they're open, we're going to get the quick hitters. If we don't get the quick hitters in our transition, then we'll move right into a, a set. And I emphasize with our players that our transition is actually our offense. Everything else are our plays. You know, so if we don't get something out of our offense, which is our transition, then we're going to run a play. Yeah. And uh, do you have, uh, now is your point guard looking for, we run a sideline break. We like to push it up the sideline, then dump it to our big girl in the middle. So, I mean, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, are you trying to um, really get that, that ball to that, you know, maybe that two man or three man and then, trying to maybe set a ball screen. What do you guys try to do from that when you mention quick hitters out of your break? Yeah, and I found that that's uh, a positive and negative because the coaches who really study my team, they know I have a wing entry into the offense or into our transition, and they will deny that. They will deny Mm -hmm. that wing play. So as much as possible, we will, because I have um, two six-footers this year who are seniors. And okay. I think are going to be really, really tough to stop. So we're definitely going to try to get the ball to them as much as possible. Um, but again, for those teams, those coaches who really study our transition, they, they, so we have to um, do not only a pass entry to the wing, but we have to do a dribble clear. So if we can't pass it to it, they're going to clear out and do a dribble clear, or we'll just go ahead and reverse it. Um, and I don't necessarily um, dive my post um, to and have them both on the block. I will keep a post up just to help in that reverse or help isolate that post inside for a high low. So we'll we'll look at other entries uh, if they're uh, shutting off that that wing entry. 
Yeah, and I think the high low is – I think it's underrated, don't you think, Coach? Because um, I have a really good guard, Destiny McClendon, and I have a big post player. I mean, it's hard to stop when I have both of them running the high low action, you know, popping to the foul line and the girl ducking in. I mean, that's to me, that's hard to guard. It is. It is. And, and again, that goes with the coaching because we don't work on um, how to guard you know, those, and if those players are really good at it, it it's, it's tough. And, and we got to, you know, spend more time in defending that and teach them how to defend it. Um, and which we don't. So that's, that's an advantage to running that high low because a lot of coaches don't, don't teach how to, how to defend against it. Yeah. How many, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I know I don't as a coach, I mean, who teaches how to defend that ducky and right in front of the rim? Correct. Correct. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Only, only reason why we're working on it is because that's what we're going to be doing. So right. not only is that what we're going to be executing, but we also have to work, you know, you know you've know, gotten killed like the last five times in a row. How are you going to stop that? So we have to really work. We'll, hopefully we'll work on both of them, you know, how to, how to execute and how to defend it. Yeah. When the teams you face are really good. So what do you find the most difficult to attack on offense? What, I mean, you don't have to just tell about the team, but what are some, uh, what are some uh, schemes and so forth that you find most difficult? Um, not necessarily schemes that are difficult. My, my biggest issue is the basketball IQ is recognizing, you know, what to attack or how to attack it. So, um, I, I again, I'm, I think I'm fortunate where we're diverse enough where we can do it inside out or we can do, you know, a, a variety of, of different looks. But getting that basketball IQ and recognizing, you know, what to right. do in those situations, I think is going to be our biggest difficulty. Yeah. And how do you uh, how do you go about teaching decision making? Because I think we all struggle with that. Um, because ultimately you have to teach, but you have to allow your players to make up their own mind and figure it out. So how, how do you get them better at that? Well, and that's what um, bit us in the butt this year, and I didn't do it. So just like Gene, there's something that he's going to work more on uh, for his, this upcoming season. What I'm going to work more on are special situations. You know, okay. I'm really going to have to break it down and spend more time on these special situations and what you do and um, just – and I spent some time talking to some college coaches and got some of their – um, special situations, whether it's, um, again, a particular offense defense, or if you're one minute, two minute, you know, you know what they're going to do in these situations against you, depending on what the score, you know, what's going on. So I, I really got to spend more time in breaking the game down for them and doing special situations. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we do enough of that as coaches do. And we do a lot of drills and things like that. I don't think we do enough time and score. I, I think that, I think we're all guilty of that. Oh, I know that was my, <laughs> that was our downfall. And I, I always, you know, I do a practice plan every practice. Mm -hmm. um, I know exactly what I'm trying to accomplish. And that was always on my practice plan, but I never got to it soon enough or enough time. So sure. what I'm after to do is um, rearrange my practice plan. And, you know, cause in my thought, you know, special situation is going to be a, a time score situation, which is going to be late in the game. So I wanted to do it late in practice to simulate, you know, the game situation. But I'm going to have to figure out how to move it up um, further in practice to make sure that I get to it. Just like I 
made a conscious effort to always work on my full court transition game, I'm going to have to make that same conscious effort to move uh, my special situations up. Yeah, and I, I've heard some coaches, um, some really good coaches and so forth, talk about how they do. They will do that at the beginning of practice, mm. just to show the importance of. Because I think we all get kind of in a rhythm of skills, and that well, this is what's great. Throw that in at the beginning, and then maybe come back to it later. I thought that was an innovative idea. Right, and I think that's so important. Like, you know, I've been in the game so long that you know I have my ways. But I have to be willing to adjust and make those changes. So it it doesn't necessarily matter if you're new to the game or if you've been in the game um, for years. You have have to be willing to grow and adjust and and make those changes. And I think that's one of the biggest downfalls with older coaches is that they're not. They think they you know this has worked. You know, and for us, you know, we've we've been successful. But if I'm not willing to make those changes, then we're not going to get better as a, as a program, as a team. So, you know, it, 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 like I said, it doesn't matter where you are in in the game. You got to be willing to make those adjustments. Yeah. We got to be able to be transparent and reflect, right. Just to get better. Um, And it doesn't matter. I mean, you've won so many state championships. I love how you're kind of trying to get your team ready for this year. Um, Hey, on your defense, are you trying to just get stops rebounding or are you trying to out in the perimeter trying to force the tempo, get turnovers? Um, we're we're going to try to uh, force the tempo and get turnovers. Um, that was something that was successful. When we won uh, the 2016 state championship, that was the year that the backboards were a foot deeper, you know, where we we're down at Macon and they, um, yeah. <laughs> they had that set up. So yeah. we <laughs> shot. 72 we had 72 attempts in that game Weiner Barrow with uh Olivia Nelson Doka they had 42 attempts and we only won that game by two points wow <laughs> yeah the thing is that they had 27 turnovers right so you know even if we have you know we we have to have more possessions to win so we have to figure out how to get more opportunities into limit their uh, shot attempts and things like that because uh, I saw where that, you know, that helped us win at that level. So I think it helped us win throughout the season if we can limit our opponent's attempts and increase our attempts so that, you know, even I think for that game, I don't even think we shot in the 20s. I mean, our shooting percentage was so low. And we are normally a great shooting team because I had um, every one of those kids on that team went D1. So we we were a great shooting team. It's just that particular game we could not throw it in the ocean. So I feel like that's our backup. You know, if we can't, you know, and I think in most a lot of times, if you're not able to score, you better have, you know, another way to to get the job done. Yeah, and defense, particularly in making there in that big, you know, that that big arena and so forth. I would bet the shooting percentages, uh, well, they're 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 way down than. Just because of the big arena and the big crowd, the nervousness. So you have to be prepared for that, right? So your defense has to step up. Definitely, definitely. And that in that particular game, I think what really made a difference is I had a kid who ended up going D1, and she could not find the rim. But <laughs> I took her out, and I put a freshman in. 
And that freshman got seven rebounds, offensive rebounds, and seven putbacks. She was seven for seven, just in rebounding and putting and putbacks. And I, I felt like that was the difference in the game. Is that you know I had somebody who's willing to go in there and rebound the basketball. So um, I think you really you know that was one of Pat Summers' quotes. You know about you know de- rebounding wins championships. You know defense may win games, but that rebounding. Uh, will win championships, and I think that that's another thing that we we really need to look at and emphasize is is working on rebounding as well. Yeah, and, and you talked about forcing turnovers. Are you a man to man pressuring team where you're trying to scramble and and force traps, or are you just trying to hard ball pressure, hard denial? How do you force turnovers? Well, we try to throw something at them that they hadn't seen. So we have. Um, a multitude of defenses that we run and you know and to to actually give away one of my secrets though is not necessarily a multiple <laughs> like an amoeba so right. actually run the same defense but give you different looks so it's really hard you know if we're doing it right you know are we in a zone are we in a man are we in a one three one are we in a two three it's is it's more of a um We'll modify it depending on, but it makes it easier for my athletes because it's the same defense. We just uh, modify it. Yeah, tell me a little bit because we actually run you know something very similar to the amoeba. Are you uh, basically just matching up, uh, or do you 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 basically match up according to the offensive sets? Uh, how do you do your amoeba? Yeah, we. Uh... We have a, a basic set like we'll we'll make it look like a you know either diamond one or a one three one, we'll, or we'll make it look like a man. But they know that once the ball is advanced, this is the rotation. These are the traps, and sure. this is where you're supposed to go. So, depending on the name, is how they rotate and how they shift and adjust. So they, they, there's a name for them for each one of those, and then they, they adjust accordingly. Yeah, and of course your team has to be good on ball pressure, rotation, recovery, all that, and you have to drill that big time, don't you? Yes, yes, and again, that's something that I know we have to spend more time on, just the whole positioning, you know, you know are you, do you have 10 toes? Are you squaring up? Are you, you know, are you going to be at an angle? Where are you forcing them? You know, how are you forcing, who are you forcing them to, you know, where's that trap coming from? Where's that rotation coming from? You know, so you, you have to spend a lot of time. And I, I, we probably, you know, once we realized that we were going to have to play Buford a lot, we probably spent a good, and probably not as much time as they did because that wasn't our style of play, but we probably spent, you know, a good 30 minutes working on those things. Um one, so that we could get better, better at doing it, doing it, and also to get better prepared if we were facing it, even though that wasn't necessarily our style of play um, for these last few years. Now, with this this upcoming team, it might be more. We might do more of it because I have uh, different personnel. Yeah, that helps to have those five seniors, right, Coach? I mean, right, right. You can make more adjustments. Uh, let's say you're playing a Gene Durden. His offense is based on the uh, dribble drive. So he's going to spread you out 
Uh, he's going to probably show you some different looks, some different false actions, whatever. Mm. And then they're going to try to, they're going to try to attack you in the gaps. How do you defend a really good dribble drive team? And that's something that I actually got from another coach. Um, cause you know, I had them watch, you know, our tape cause we, I think we played them two, three times in the playoffs and we just really worked on, uh, staying home on ball side and, um, bringing in, um, weak side help. Cause when his dribble drive, they wanted you to help on that. And then they would kick ball side. So we just had to adjust our rotation to, you know, just stay home and bring, bring some weak side help and, and things like that. So, um, but then there's another coach who um, I got a, a, a brand, a, a new defense that, um, um, and they, he actually came from his high school during the school year to my practice, hmm. put it in. So he came to one of my practices and put the defense in that will um, allow for pressure on the perimeter and also help out in that dribble drive. So we, we, he came and put it in last year and we're going to try to um, bring him up again this year to, you know, re reteach it and um, try to work on that. Cause I think that um, that defense and he got it from a college coach and he got it offline and, you know, was, was willing to come up and um, put it in for us. So, and, and again, it's a modification of the Amoeba and in the one, three, one, two, three, it's like all those things together with some tweaks and some adjustments. So, uh, I think it'll work excellent against the dribble drive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm looking at it going, okay, so there, you probably have a lot of teams that maybe recognize it's a zone, right? So they're going to try to run their zone offense, which is less dribble penetration. It's just ball movement. Is that what you face? What are some of the teams that actually attack it well teams struggle against? Um, you know, when they when they recognize what you're running, you know, hopefully in, in our situation, you know, they'll, they'll, they they think you're running a man, so they're going to, you know, try to try to penetrate, but we're actually running a matchup zone. Sure. Or vice versa, you know, they think we're running a zone, but it's our, it's our man with the traps and things like that. So, um, again, we just try to dis- disguise it so they can't, so they don't recognize it and, you know, run what they do best you know go to their strengths so yes um but a lot of times with my athletes they don't disguise it very well it's like (laughs) so obvious what we're doing so that's something else that we're gonna have to work on a little bit more is disguising our defenses yeah and that's i mean i love that and it just sounds like you're even with the team you have coming back man you're trying to find out hey what is one or two of the things we can get better at because all those little things make a difference right coach at the end basically it's always the little things, and that's something that uh, I emphasize with my athletes. You know, everybody's running the same offense, same defense. It's that's all, right. It's either going to be a, a one-three-one or a two-three or something like that. You know, there's only going to be five people out there, so it's it's very everybody's doing very similar things. It's just those uh, tweaks and those adjustments that, that make the difference. It's those little things. What is one thing before we get into this, your practices, I only have a couple more questions for you. What is one thing in state when you have won those five state championships, what, what was one thing, the separator that you found other than knocking down shots? Was it rebounding? Was it, was it layups? What is one thing you found that made the difference in the win? 
Well, again, um, I went to a, a seasoned coach, and that was uh, Angie Hembry. Okay, sure. He won uh, several state championships. So when our very first uh, state championship that we went to, I talked to her and you know asked her how you prepare your team. And one thing uh, she emphasized is, first of all, make it a big deal, you know, because, you know, things that we didn't have like a police escort and, you know, a charter bus we were always in you know a, a yellow bus and you know <laughs> we would leave out just like it was just a regular game you know just going down the street so she said really emphasize that you know this, this is something that you know they need to get excited about and then the other thing she stressed with me is play your game you know don't you know try to go too far out from what you're you know like I said whatever you know whatever took you to the dance continue you know to go with that so we try to, you know, just really emphasize, you know, this is what we've been doing all year. This is what's gotten us here, and this is what we're going to, you know, do in this game. And just the, I think the familiarity that they didn't have to make huge adjustments uh, for that game, uh, I think gave them the confidence that they could just go out there and play and play hard and have fun. That's so true. It, you know, it's an underrated point because I know I've been in a lot of, Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado big games and the games that I've won I didn't make any adjustments <laughs> I mean you know we just did our thing but I know the games that we have lost I've made too many adjustments and I think as coaches we gotta we gotta lose control right 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 you know they they've been doing this all year and they're the ones out there playing you know that's the the one thing I share with them there and I tell them the same story every year and <laughs> it, it seems to surprise them but I, I tell them, I said, I can't remember the last time I won a championship. And they're like, okay, coach, are you getting seen now or no? Because we just won one. Um, but I tell them that I didn't make that basket. I, I didn't get that steal. I didn't get the rebound. You did. You know, that was the previous team. Those players were the ones that got out there and got it done and won that game. Yes, I was present. I was a coach. But, you know, as far as getting it done, it was the players from that season that, that got it done. So just uh, let them know that, you know, give them ownership, accountability, and, and, and uh, the, the freedom to just go out there and play and not worry about if I'm going to criticize them or chastise them or get upset with them that, you know, they, they can just go out there and, and play their game. I love that. So you're allowing them to be fearless. You know what I'm saying? They're right. not think overthinking. Um, and that's an, another underrated part of coaching. Um, Coach, um, talk about – well, give us an insight into how you run practice because I want to know how the great coaches run a practice. And you don't have to go over everything, but just give us like a basic structure of how you do things. Okay. Um, well, like I said, I always have a practice plan. Um Every single practice, so I don't um, leave it to be questioned. I also uh, share the practice plans with the coaches. The coaches 
um, give the input. So before we uh, even step out on the floor, we know exactly um, what we're doing that day. Um, I also share it with my um, my seniors or my captains. They know, uh, again, this comes from AC, they know how to get out there and get practice started and what we're doing right away. There's no surprises on what we're going to do. You know, if we're going to, whatever we're starting off with, you know, they know what the practice plan is for that day. Um, I also, like I said, I emphasize our um, transition game every single practice. So they know that we're going to do transition. We're going to do um, all our fast break drills, um, offense and defensive drills. And then um, we'll break it down. We'll break it down to our half-court game, you know, our half-court offense, half-court defense. Um, I like to – do lead-ups, so I like to whatever offense that we're working on that day, we, the drills um, lead into that offense or whatever defense we're doing that day, the drills will lead into that. So, And even our full-court game, you know, when we're running something in our transition, it's like, okay, now you see why we ran this because sure. this is how, how it fits in to what we're doing offensively or defensively. So I try to establish continuity from one drill to the next and how, how it all fits in together so they can see it, that we're not just wasting time. Um, we do a lot of running um, and not necessarily running without the ball. We do most of our running with the ball, but I'm also not opposed to doing some running um, without the ball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and I know there's some out there, some, you know, thoughts both ways some you know mm -hmm. they just love to run to death or they only want to do it with the ball and I try to mix it up you know I'll try to, to do a little little bit of both because I, I I feel they gain something from both both styles of, of running either with or without the ball yeah I love that and give me a, a sample of a good transition drill because you you mentioned that quite a few times because we're a running team and I'm always trying to pick up good transition drills because kids think they run hard, but there's a difference between running to the top of the three-point line and then running to the corner where we want them. Mm -hmm. um, talk about how getting kids to really run hard. and Give me, give me a good drill that you guys do. Um, I think one of the typical ones, uh, I think what also helps to get them out to run and execute is uh, time and score. So we'll do a, a transition drill that – you know, they got to make so many baskets in so much time. So, you know, just the one that a lot of them do will um, get the ball out to the outlet, you know, have the two passers down to far in. And, you know, as they're doing their three-player weave, they're looking for the opposite ball, get the shots up, you know, make that layup so that they're actually taking jump shots, layups and run the floor. And, you know, we'll put a time and a score on there so that they, they have to accomplish that. And if they don't, then we keep doing it. If we don't, get it done after so many attempts, then we're going to do the running without the ball. So just to emphasize them, you know, there's going to be a time. Most of the things that we do in transition is, is time and score, or um, we I have another one where they have to, uh, in so much time, they're doing a passing drill and the ball is never to touch the ground. You know, I don't know if it's, it doesn't matter if it's straight passing or if it's finished with a layup. If that ball touches the ground, we're starting all over. You know, so it's certain expectations within that drill that they need to accomplish in that amount of time or we're going to 
continue to do it again. So just to just to have some predetermined goals and things in in, in those drills um, gets them working hard and, and moving up and down the floor. Yeah, I love that because if you don't emphasize certain things, kids are not going to do it right. Right. Correct. Uh, um, so I think as coaches, that's a great idea. I mean, you have to have an emphasis. Now, do you emphasize like a lot of us results, like win or lose, or do you emphasize, okay, you get, you know, you get plus one if you get a great box out. How do you emphasize things in your practice? And I do, I do it both ways. You know, we'll, depends on what the focus of the practice is. You know, we, we may, um, we, we do those things where, you know, you get a point for a rebound or a point for a touch or, you know, a point for this or, you know, we'll make it actual game like, you know, you're going to have to score, you know, the winning team, you know, you know, they win and, and, and you lose. So, it, again, it just depends on what we're emphasizing that day. Yeah, I totally agree. And I and I know your teams play great defense, Coach. And I, I think this is also another thing I don't think coaches work on is talk about defensive footwork. I mean, do you teach sliding or do you teach sprinting and then just facing up and squaring up? I mean, how do you teach great pressure defense or how do you drill it? And I'm glad you asked that because, again, that's going to um, be one of my tweaks because, uh, as I mentioned, I, I do summer ball and I have a coach um, from Washington County who is really emphasizing with this team uh, turn and sprint. Now, I used to do push-step drag. You know, I, I wasn't <laughs> a step-slide person. I had gotten out of step-slide a long time ago. And right. when I was looking at the turn and sprint, I was looking at the footwork. And, you know, way back in the day, you didn't want to cross your feet and you didn't want to do this and that. But, you know, there's some things to be said about the, you know, the turn and sprint and getting a good defense position. So, again, it's going to be a combination. You know, I still don't want them crossing over their feet and tripping over themselves. So, we will work on, you know, the 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 placement, you know, the space and things like that. But we are going to work more on turn and sprint, getting in position, and then adding the, um, you know, don't cross your feet and things like that. Um, I think also, you know, your distance from the opponent and, and the ball in relationship to where the basket is. So, you know, if you're 84 feet versus if you're 50 feet or if you're, you know, 20 feet, we're going to have to work more on that. Um, on defense, you know, so that you don't get beat you know, or make an unnecessary foul 80-some feet from the basket. So just, again, uh, court awareness and, you know, how to get your proper uh, defense position. We're gonna, really going to work on that. Yeah, I, and I know I'm, I'm guilty. Uh, you know, we need to work more on that because we're playing against teams that are very quick, very fast, uh, and we're getting quicker and faster too, but – if you're going to get out in pressure, you better move. Um, so I know. So um, it, do you think coaches in general, do we do enough of like footwork drills to really work on getting our kids more agile? Um, uh, you know, I really don't spend a lot of time on the footwork. Um, I had a young lady um, when I was coaching Wisconsin. Um, I would always tell, in fact, she's now the head coach at the University of Illinois. Uh, okay but I would always emphasize to my players I had a her in particular she was so slow that her first three steps were in the same spot I mean that's how (laughs) close she was right Um, but she had the basketball IQ or the 
court awareness know how to position herself where she didn't appear to be as slow as she actually was. So she was aware of her individual footwork speed and would adjust accordingly so that she wouldn't get um, burned um, because she was playing against, uh, at, at that time, that was at the college level, she was playing against players who were way, way quicker than her. But she knew how to make those adjustments where um, she, they didn't notice how slow she actually was. But uh, it's the slowest person I had ever, ever coached. But you would never know it. So she was thinking the game quickly, not necessarily playing the game quickly. I don't know if that makes sense. Definitely. So she, that's, that's what she was, I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's positioning, right? So being, you know, and we can always teach our players to be smarter and positioning to me is also undervalued. Um, and I, I think it's, it's easier yeah. to teach them to be smarter than necessarily quicker, you know, because they're right. only going to have a certain amount of foot speed and realize with her, she wasn't going to get a whole lot quicker, but she could get a whole lot smarter. And I think that's why she's a, a D1 coach now because she could process that. That's so true. I mean, you're, let's say you're playing, um, you know, the Westlake or Raven Johnson. I, I, I hopefully I said her name right mm -hmm. from Westlake, right. the best point guard probably in the state and, and probably in the country. Right. Um, I mean, you got to be smart with her. So, I mean, you can run a bunch of players at her, but she might just blow by them. I mean, how do you defend a great guard like that? I know. And I, I love watching her. And I think that was one of one of her several strengths is that no, not only was she athletic, but she was also uh, intelligent, so she could read a situation. And I think with her, probably the only thing you can do is keep the ball out of her hands, to tell you truthfully. <laughs> right. Just, you know, just, just don't let her touch the ball. But um, if she did get pos possession, is to try to get her to think more. Then, you know, for her to be able to recognize those situations right away, she's going to definitely take advantage of it. So try to, you know, try to slow down her thought process so she couldn't recognize uh, right away what was going on and, you know, throw, throw a few things that maybe she's not accustomed to seeing. Yeah, that's all you can do as a coach, right, is just give her some different looks. And that sounds like that's what you guys do mm -hmm. is you're giving different looks. That would be a fun game to watch. I don't, I don't know if you have Westlake on the schedule, but I'd pay to see that. Oh, yeah, I would love to play him. Uh, we were not, <laughs> not able to schedule this year. We almost got it done. But then when the pandemic hit, then they had to adjust their schedule. So I uh, wasn't quite able to do it. But I, I would love to play them you know, just to see um, what we would be capable of doing against them. Yeah, no doubt. Coach, before you go, talk about what are, how, how does um, – how do you get the, the best out of your coaching? Now, what are some resources that you use, you know, whether that's calling coaches, whether that's huddle? How do you get better as a coach? Um, great question. Um, I think one of the biggest philosophies is, is exactly what you're doing is to share information, gain information. Um, and one of the principles I, I try to outwork my opposing coaches, you know, I never knowing how much time and effort and things that, the uh, ACs and the genes and, the and uh, Coach Arthur and everybody's in, in yourself, you know, I really don't know what you guys are doing or how much time you're putting into it, but I know that I need to put that much time and even more. So not knowing what you're doing, that means I got to continue 
to put in more time and more things so that um, – and then I have said that with my players. It's like you don't know what the opposing players are doing, so the only, only way to outwork them is by continuing to put more time and effort into what you're doing. Yeah, that's a great point. If there is one coach that you would love watch their practice, who would that be? Mm, that's a great question. Um, High school or college, um, or even you know, even here in Georgia, because we have a bunch of great coaches. Yeah, and I think you know, again, I was fortunate where I was able to go to a lot of the coaches' practices that um, I tell you who I really – I haven't had a chance to see who I would really love to go see. And I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm about to give him a call or hopefully he's listening. <laughs> um, sure. It would be Sean um, over at um, Carrollton, Sean Thompson. Okay, okay. You know, because in playing against him, they beat us a few years ago at our place, which we hadn't lost all season at our place. And I talked to him afterwards and he shared with me that he had gotten as much information, kind of like he knew my team better than I knew my team. Um, so I would, I would love to go to his practices and see how he runs them, how he gets his players prepared because he is, he is overly prepared. And I, I learned a lot from, from him in that particular situation, but that, that would probably be the coach. Absolutely. And that, that's cool. That's really great that you say that because um, even though you've had a you know tremendous career, tremendous record, man, you're always willing to learn from another coach, particularly a coach. I'm always learning from coaches that beat me. So I want to find out what they do so I can beat them. But um, that's really cool that you say that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it because that and we we he actually um, I'm hosting an event and he requested to play against us. So we're going to play each other because I think we feel like we're going to battle each other as coaches. We're going to battle wits and strategies and stuff like that. So definitely uh, looking forward. So maybe he won't let me come to his practice since we're playing each other. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Find somebody else and maybe watch him the year after. But I think that's right. we respect each other's um, preparation and, and um, you know, just uh, uh, coaching philosophies. Yeah, that's really, that's really great. Yeah, and there's a lot of great coaches out in Georgia that um, we need to pick the brain of more, and that's why I appreciate you joining me, Coach. Man, I learned so much, and um, I wish you the best. Hopefully, you'll be back in the business this fall working with your players, but thanks again for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me, Kevin, and again, this has been a great experience for me. You've asked me some questions that you know got me to think, and um, I look forward to listening to your future podcast because i think this is a great opportunity for all of us all right coach walton thank you so much and i would love to have uh what's the best way to get a hold of you because i have coaches always interested in contacting the coaches um probably the best um would be um to text me on my cell phone because i'm you know it's always with me and i respond to my texts all the time um School email when school's in. Um, I don't go to my personal email as much, but my first is my phone, then the school email, and the last is the personal email. Okay, and I'll have that. I'll have that on the podcast so people can reach out to you. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't mind. Um, <laughs> I I think a lot of people have my phone numbers. So I really don't mind um, putting that out there. Okay. Great.
Coach, thank you for sharing the game. I appreciate it. Hope to see you back this this season. All right. And, and same to you, Kevin. Thank you so much. All right. Uh-huh. All right. Thanks, Coach. All right. Bye. Hey, coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division One, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. If you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast.